3: Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for two fifty. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just two dollars. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price.
4: The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. And welcome back, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'm your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the X-Zone. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the X-Zone comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and iHeartRadio. If you would like to uh, send us an email, exxon at TV.com on all social media sites, Radio TV, and to find out about the broadcast schedule that we have for all the great programming on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Exonation, my guest this hour is Cliff Berrickman. Uh, he's been doing field research on Sasquatches since 1994. His expeditions have taken him to 46 states and five continents in search of evidence of relict hominid, hominids I should say, worldwide. As the evidence analyst on Animal Planet's hit television series, Finding Bigfoot, Cliff has applied his skill and expertise to a variety of photographic, video film, and sound evidence. Cliff is especially familiar with the footprint and handprint evidence of Sasquatches, and he is the curator for one of the largest collection of cast evidences in the world. Cliff is also an accomplished musician outdoorsman living a quiet life on the western slopes of Oregon's Cascade Mountain Range, deep in the heart of Bigfoot country. His website, Cliffbarrackman.com. And Cliff, welcome to the X-Zone.
5: Oh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
4: What started you on the quest
5: for Bigfoot. Oh, well, I suppose if you go back far enough into my history, it was every little boy's love of monsters. I mean, I grew up in the 1970s watching Godzilla and King Kong and, you know, and all the black and white horror movies with Lon Chaney and stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, and at the same time, you know, In Search Of was on. Oh, big at, you time. Know, and, and for for an eight-year-old, yeah. that's all the same thing. So Bigfoot, Godzilla, you know, it's all as, as real as it can be for an eight-year-old. Um, but, you know, fast forward 20 years and I find mm-hmm. myself in college – And I start reading books that are collections of scholarly articles written about Sasquatches from the perspective of anthropologists. And that's when I first started realizing, holy smokes, there's actually evidence for these things. They might be real. And that was back in 94, and I've been doing field work on these things ever since.
4: Um, What kind of evidence is there to substantiate the claims that
5: Bigfoot is real? Uh, There's a variety of evidence, actually. Um, uh, Going back to before recorded history, Mm -hmm. you can look at the Native American um, oral tradition. Um, Every single Native American tribe in North America that lives in similar habitat as Sasquatches have these creatures as part of their oral tradition without exception. Um, There's even uh, pictographs and uh, petroglyphs and whatnot depicting these things, um, whether it's big feet, like actual shape, like huge foot carvings and whatnot in the Pacific Northwest or the the petroglyphs in the the Four Corners area that show um, humans and then these big. Human-like things with these huge footprints associated with it or even in Southern, uh, California down in the southern side of the Sierra Nevada mountains. There are life-size cave paintings, um, dated between 800 and 1,500 years ago, long before white contact, basically that depict life-size hairy man. Um, on the Thule Indian Reservation. Um, of course, so the Indians, uh, the Native Americans, both here in America as well as the First Nations people in Canada, are were very aware of these things in the woods. Um, uh, the European dominant culture started running into them almost as soon as they set foot in North America, and certainly as the the eastern population pushed westward. You can look at the historical newspaper accounts all throughout the 17 and 1800s talking about these 7- to 8-foot hairy wild men that were being encountered in
4: various places throughout North America. Um, go, ahead, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say, well, with all the modern technology we have available today, how come we still haven't found that smoking gun, hardcore piece of evidence that people are looking for in order to really say Bigfoot is real? Well, unfortunately, we have a sort of a Victorian
5: era mindset in our scientific establishment at this point, where the only proof that will do. Um, for something as unexpected as a Sasquatch mm-hmm. is a dead Sasquatch or a large piece thereof. And so far, though many people have claimed to shoot these things, no one has yet brought in the dead one or a large piece thereof. Um, there are some other interesting avenues that are currently being explored that perhaps might not make the, the, a dead corpse uh, part of the necessary equation here um, to prove them real. Um, DNA, for example. Um, there's some interesting DNA studies being done right now that could actually yield some interesting results um, but the evidence is there. When you look at the evidence that has been left behind, whether it's the, like I said, the Native American reports or the historical settler reports, um, and uh, or the footprint and handprint evidence, or even some of the footage that's out there, it's all internally congruent. And in fact, many of these pieces of evidence later are pointed out pointed to later discoveries in anthropology and paleoanthropology um, that that didn't even dawn on the anthropologists at the time. So the congruency of the evidence is by far the uh, the most convincing thing about Sasquatch evidence out there.
4: So at the end of the day, if Sasquatch is found out to be real, what does that mean to the common person?
5: Well, yeah, I I think that's interesting because it's kind of like, why do we study things like Neanderthals or Mm. Homo erectus or any of the other hominins um, that we know came before us because of the fossil evidence? And I think it's because it points a finger back at ourselves, you know, it it holds a mirror up to ourselves um, and perhaps uh, lowers the throne that we've put ourselves on in our hubris about being totally separate from the natural world. Um, Sasquatches represent something, I think, to people, I mean, hairy men are, in fact, a mythological archetype. Mm -hmm. Um, And that says something about our psyche, about something perhaps that we're missing, because we've been disconnected from the land that bore us. We've been um, separated from the wilderness from whence we came. And I think Sasquatches represent that piece that we lost of ourselves. Um, and, 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 you know, And then there's the other side, you know, like, what if somebody did come up and say, you know what, Godzilla is real. How Mm -hmm. cool would that be to every little boy, whether they're eight or 48? Um, And Bigfoot also represents that, just that spark of mystery and wonder that is still left in the world if one takes the time to see it.
4: Uh, If somebody said uh, that, uh, you know, any of these monsters were real, it wouldn't change my life at all. I was never into monsters as a kid. So, so that, uh, that example doesn't wash over here, but I can understand your enthusiasm. What do we know about Bigfoot? What do we know about Bigfoot's sociological uh, habits? Well, we know, uh, we know a fair
5: amount about Sasquatches in general, um, based on the evidence that they've left behind. Um, we do know that they are—well, we, we strongly suspect, I should say, that there's some sort of hominin. A hominin is a special word in anthropology that uh, is used to describe any of the human ancestors or branch branches off of our tree, so to speak, mm-hmm. since um, our last common ancestors with chimpanzees about six to eight million years ago. So that—, that uh, that entails Homo erectus, Neanderthals, Homo habilis, the Australopithecines, you name it, um, whether they led to us or were just dying off branches off to the side. So Sasquatches are homonyms almost for sure. Um, they're bipedal, they're, they're clearly primates, the whole deal. They've got the shoulder, uh, shoulder morphology necessary. But we also know um, things like they're largely nocturnal, um, and that can be gleaned by a statistical analysis of the sighting reports um to this day people still report saying these things the most recent uh, report i'm aware of happened last saturday not this one this past mm-hmm. saturday but the one before um out here in beaver creek in oregon not far from portland um and again uh, these these sighting reports if you look at when they happen about half of them occurred during day as night you know um about half it's actually 60% during the day and 40% at night but that's about half and we'll just leave it at half for now and you'll see why in a minute you got to think how many people are out at night versus during the day? Why don't we say one-tenth? You know, just rough round numbers. And how far can those people see? we'll, we'll use one-tenth again. Um, using those very rough numbers, that implies 100 times more Sasquatch activity at night. So that's part of the puzzle because people often say, well, why aren't we seeing them more? Why aren't people, you know, how come we haven't shot one yet? How come mm-hmm. this or how come that, you know? And a lot of it is because they're nocturnal and very, very secretive and don't want anything to do with us. So they kind of steer clear. Um, we also know a little bit about their diet. Um, they've, there, have had, there have been observations
4: of them eating a wide variety of, uh, of, of food substances. Now, um, when you say an observation they, of them eating a large variety of food substances, how are these observations made?
5: Um, generally on accidents. People, um, hunters, or dry, people driving on lonely roads at night, or campers. Mm-hmm. Um, very often, uh, the people who see Sasquatches are doing one of these activities they're hunting, they're camping, or they're driving. Um, not always, but. The statistically speaking sure. that's what the vast majority of them are doing and so when people run across these things like a hunter for example um, th- There's a story actually that was documented in uh, dr. John Bindernoggle's book um, Sasquatch the North American ape um, where a, a hunter claimed to have shot a, uh, shot a deer um, And then a Sasquatch came and just stole it from him basically and, and walked away from it I personally spoke to um, three young people in Minnesota who saw a Sasquatch basically jump on top of a deer, snap its All right, neck. hold on.
4: We've got to take a break. Nation, we're talking about Bigfoot this hour here on the Exxon. Our special guest is uh, Cliff be- uh, Berkman, right? Berkman. Berkman. Oh, Bar- I say Berkman. All right, Berkman. And uh, his website is cliffberkman.com. And Cliff and I will be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.
0: Don't wait. Visit Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. com slash save.
4: Welcome back. Cliff Barrickman is our special guest. We're talking about Bigfoot. His website is www.cliffbarrickman.com. And Cliff, before we went to the break, you were talking about three young people that you had the opportunity of speaking to about a Bigfoot incident.
5: Yeah, 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 they were in Minnesota, and they were out in their front yard one day, and they mm-hmm. were watching this deer acting strangely on the other side of this lake that they live next to. Um, and then they saw a figure moving in the trees above it, and essentially it was a Sasquatch. It jumped down and next to the deer, grabbed it, snapped its neck, mm. threw it over its shoulders, and walked away. Um, and these are not the only observations of Sasquatches doing such behaviors. Um, but, of course— uh, We've known for, or we've thought for a long time at least, that Sasquatches and deer have a very close relationship uh, because Sasquatches are likely eating them um, because they have been observed doing so. But um, there's a Forest Service archaeologist that I'm acquainted with, and she actually, she's actually a very good friend of mine, in Stanislaus National Forest in California. Um, and her, her job, being a Forest Service archaeologist, is essentially being the uh, go between between the federal government and the Native American tribes in the area. You know, if they're out there building a road Mm -hmm. and they run across human remains, they're Native Americans. So she goes to the tribes and repatriates the, you know, uh, the the remains and all that stuff. So anyway, um, since her job is the archeological sites, the Native American sites in her forest, she overlaid the archaeological sites, a map of the archaeological sites, with a map of the deer migration routes. And they, she found that they were 100% congruent, as one might expect, because Native Americans relied heavily upon deer as a food item. So, But, you know, she's a Bigfooter as well. She's seen them. She knows they're real. So she overlaid a map of um, Bigfoot sighting reports with that same deer migration route. And she found that it was 100% congruent, which is, again, strong evidence that Sasquatches are, in fact, predating and going after and eating deer. So, um, But, again, they eat a, a wide variety of uh, animals and plants. They've been seen eating frogs. They've been seen eating skunks and possums and raccoons and, uh, you know, fern stalks and raiding apple trees and eating garbage and roadkill and Hmm. you name it. They're pretty much the the ultimate omnivore here in North America. So they're the seagulls of the animal kingdom. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Gotcha. That's Um, a great way to put it.
4: If Bigfoots are real, how come there have never been any bones found?
5: Well, people ask me that a lot of course and uh, my answer is usually a form of a question like if bears are real Why don't we find their bones and it's pretty much the same answer now you're saying but there are bones You know, there's bones in museums and Mm -hmm. whatever else but yeah But those bears have been shot and killed and as I noted before uh, No one has successfully brought in a Sasquatch that they've shot and killed if anybody indeed has Um, But we're talking a a naturally dead animal as opposed to one that has been shot and killed Um, we're also talking about apex predators where no other animal hunts them, you know, like deer, for example, uh, they don't get to choose where they die because the mountain lion doesn't talk it over with them. You know, just the mountain lion jumps on it and kills it and eats it or drags it away and hides it in a tree or does whatever mountain lion does. But um, so the deer has no say in where they die. However, apex predators do. Apex predators mean that nothing else hunts them for food. So we're talking bears and mountain Mm -hmm. lions and Sasquatches and Bobcats and things like that. Um, So basically, oddly enough, zoologists don't study this, which I think is fascinating, that there's this whole field left unstudied by biologists. Um, So one has to speculate, and I, I think it's pretty safe to speculate that they behave much like, say, a farm dog or a farm cat does. You know, one day the dog or cat, or in this case a Sasquatch or a bear or something, they get sick. And of course they've been sick before in their life. So uh, they're vulnerable and they know this. They probably hide themselves away pretty well so as to avoid trouble. And one day, instead of getting better like it has every other time in its life, it dies. So to start off with, um, they've literally hidden their own body, literally hidden their own body. Now, within a few hours to a few days maximum, the scavengers would move in. And here we're talking about weasels and coyotes and bears and stuff eating the flesh away, probably dispersing the bones here and there, the body parts. You know, take an arm over this direction, take Mm -hmm. a leg a couple hundred yards that way, that sort of stuff. So the meat is eaten away pretty quickly. Um, The hair would be eaten away by moths. And the bones are actually eaten um, by the most plentiful animal in North America by biomass, which is the deer mouse. Deer mice, as well as wood rats and porcupines and coyotes and deer even, all of these animals eat bones. So the, re- the forest essentially recycles the body parts pretty quickly. When you add to that the fact that they literally hid their body and add to that the scarcity of the species to begin with, one would expect to never find naturally dead Sasquatches and um, I've been you know in the field for 25 years doing Bigfoot stuff and I've been asking all the naturalists I run across how many naturally dead bears have you run across and so far in 25 years I got a maybe one and a a couple owl hooters owl Mm -hmm. biologists were in northern California and found the back legs of a black bear stuck out from underneath this giant redwood tree that had been uh, that had fallen during a storm which kind of supports my hypothesis that um, they hide themselves in these little hidey holes that are out of the way so so they'll never be found because they think they're going to get better, you know? What do we know
4: about uh, the way they live?
5: Very little, but we can, um, glean some stuff based on the other great apes. Cause again, Sasquatches are just a great ape essentially is all mm-hmm. they are. Um, we can glean a little bit about their social behaviors based on other great apes as a model and also using the footprint evidence. Um, see most, most mammals are notoriously difficult to get close to and to find in North America. Um, biologists, field biologists, uh, rely heavily upon their spore. Basically uh, their footprints, uh, Scat uh, hair sample things like the signs of their passing. That's what spore means So uh, biologists they don't go out and count the bear They see they go out and count the footprints that they find and the foraging sites Um, And then they do a little bit of fancy math and they kind of get a guesstimate for a population So that same technique applied to Sasquatches has now shown us that they seem to live in small family groups where somebody might report a Bigfoot has been seen. Um, there's That just means they saw one. Doesn't mean it's the only one in the neighborhood, right? Because footprint evidence indicates that they travel in small groups of like maybe two or three individuals over a fairly large area. You know, a few hundred yards apart. They could be sweeping through a valley looking for deer or you know whatever they're trying to eat that day. Um, so we think, and on, also of, of interest as far as the footprint evidence and their social behavior, we have found that. Uh, the same individual Sasquatch has been tracked over time and sometimes it seems like the big ones, presumably males, um, go to different areas as far as 60 or 70 miles away and visit other females based on the footprints that were found at the scene. Um For example, in Northern California back in the 60s, there was one animal that was found in the Bluff Creek region, a big male, we think. And at a different time of year, that same individual's footprints were found 60 miles away down in Palm, California. It seems like a long ways to go, but when you look at the map, there's only one ridge connecting those two areas, a 60-mile ridge called a Friday Ridge. And it can travel that one mountain ridge and be down in the other area a different time of year visiting a different presumably female um, because of smaller footprints associated with it. So,
4: what what is your opinion of the Gimlin Patterson film? Uh, Patterson Gimlin film is real. Um, I, uh, Roger
5: Patterson for for a lot of reasons. I'm going to start with that. It's real for a lot of reasons. Okay. And these people who keep coming forth every few years to say that they were the person in the suit, they should know that they're not the first to say that. There's been seven or ten so far since 1967 when it was filmed, um, and so far none. Of Those people know where the film site is and uh, the 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 most Mm -hmm. widely uh, Disseminated uh, hoaxer who says that they were the guy in the film um, was written in a book a few years ago And um, he he the closest he got he he gave two different locations for the film site and the closest he got was 20 miles away Um, and certainly if you were in that film uh, if you were in the suit being filmed by Roger and Bob that day you would have some idea of how far back at Bluff Creek you drove um, it wouldn't be like right next to the Klamath River where he said it was, but it would be – it's actually 25 miles or so upriver. And then back in 67 – I mean it's a gnarly drive today, but back in 67, it was notoriously difficult. Um, and of course, then you get into the background of the people involved. Roger Patterson died in 1972, I believe, um, from a form of cancer that he thoroughly thought that with enough money he could be cured of. Now, he but made money on his phone.
4: Yeah, yeah, but you – know, um... Patterson also had a seedy past, like he was no stand-up citizen. Yeah, and, and,
5: and in fact, on his deathbed, he, he said uh, that this could not have happened to a worse person. <laughs> you know, basically saying, that not, not that he's a, the worst person in the world, that's mm-hmm. not what he meant, but he knew about his background. He knew that, you know, he didn't return the camera in time, and he had a, an arrest warrant out from the camera shop. Uh, he knew stuff like that. He was always looking for money, because he was, he was a rodeo rider, Uh, as a profession, you know, so, and that does make a lot of money. So he's always trying to make ends meet for his family. Sure. And on his deathbed, he said, you know what, like this, this couldn't have happened to a worse person as far as like a character reference goes, but he died without saying that it was fake. And in fact, um, he did make a fair amount of money from the film. Mm -hmm. And remember, he thought he could be cured of cancer if he had enough money, but instead of going out to make another fake, supposedly fake film and earn even more money, What he did is he threw that money away on a wild goose chase trying to get another Bigfoot. And um, Bob Gimlin, who's still alive, by the way, and he's a friend of mine. He lives out in Yakima, Washington. I know him personally pretty well. Um, Bob Gimlin was basically screwed out of his one third share that was promised to him. He eventually sold all rights to the film for like 10 bucks or something like that just to get it out of his life because he was so tired of being called a liar. And to this day, even though he was basically cheated out of all that money, I mean, basically, he says, no, what I saw was a big mammal. I, I work with big – he works with big mammals for a living, you know, horses and stuff. He still breaks horses to this day and he's 86 years old. All right,
4: hold on. We've got to take our break for the news at the bottom of the hour. Sure, sure. Exonation, our guest this hour is Cliff – I'm going to screw it up. I know I am, Cliff. Give you your last name again.
5: Barrickman. There
4: you go. <laughs> and uh, Cliff Barrickman and I will be back on the other side of this break. Don't go
0: away.
4: Cliff Berrickman is our special guest of the Sour Exo Nation, www.cliffberrickman.com. We're talking about Sasquatch, Bigfoot, you know, that big hairy guy that runs uh, throughout the forest. No, I don't mean your Uncle Clem, Craig. I mean the real one. Mind you, after meeting your Uncle Craig, you know, kind of, there's a family resemblance there. Um, first of all, thanks very much for coming on, Cliff. Great talking to you. Um, and you, we were talking about the Patterson-Gimlin film, and... What evidence do we have that it wasn't a hoax? Besides the the lack of details from these people who purport to have been inside the suit.
5: Well, it, when you look at the figure itself, um, it tells a lot about what that can and cannot be. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it for a lot, I mean, it can only be a real animal or a guy in a suit. I think that's agreed. Yeah. So you have to look. Could it be a suit? So um, now at the time, I think it was actually 1969 that this happened, not 1967 when it was filmed. Um, uh, John Green, um, a veteran Bigfoot researcher back in the day, he took the film to Walt Disney Studios and said, hey, look at this. How would you guys do this if you were to fake it? Because mm-hmm. you know, Walt Disney, it seems like that's a good place to go because they're making high, you know, high budget films and whatnot. And the Disney company looked at it and studied it for a while and said, you know, we couldn't do this with what we know how to do. We could not make that. Um, And so you hold it up to another light. Um, Look at um, Planet of the Apes. I believe Planet of the Apes won Academy Awards at the time for uh, special effects and whatnot, costumes and everything. Mm -hmm. And it it, it was released in the the first half of 1968. So basically it was in production at the time that Roger and Bob, two Yakima Cowboys, um, were like filmed the creature in October and uh and you look at the 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 creature in the Patterson Gimlin film and then look at the planet of the apes costumes and it's night and day uh the differences you, you, they look like masks there's no uh, muscle well, movement it, it, in to the be
4: to, to be fair to be fair here when you're looking at the the film that uh, Patterson and Gimlin pro, uh, you know, produced you're not that close the camera angles aren't that close there there seems to be um for one, for one thing, the, the costumes in Planet of the Apes were made so that there could be movement of the, of the ape's mouth. So, you know, I, I find that a, a real far stretch comparing what the Planet of the Apes costume looked like compared to what this Bigfoot representation looks like. Because you're talking apple and oranges, you're talking 35 millimeter to 16 millimeter. You're talking about everything that's on a, tristod, a tripod within a studio, confined compared to raw footage.
5: You're absolutely correct. Uh, the Planet of the Apes has a much higher resolution, even yeah. though that's not, I don't think that's like the term that's used with real film versus digital, but yeah, it is a better quality film and it's certainly less shaky because no one's running after a wild creature while you're filming it, right? But when you look at the f- at the closest frames from the Patterson-Gimlin film, they were filmed from about 90 or 100 feet away and they are actually in focus. Um, a lot of people say it's blurry, but the best, fil- the best frames from that footage are actually in focus because the camera is an infinite focus everything in the frame is in focus it turns out Um, and you can see anatomical features in the creature itself that you cannot see in any of the Planet of the Apes costumes and what I mean by that is you can see the shoulder blades themselves moving underneath the back skin mm-hmm. as the creature moves. You can see muscles bulging as she changes foot and the weight is put on each one of their legs. The muscles themselves are moving. You can actually see the foot flexing in the mid part of the foot, which is a feature that's been observed and inferred in all of the Sasquatch footprints. All as right, so well. let me
4: let me ask you one simple question here. If that was done with a 16 millimeter film all those years ago? How come with today's technology there hasn't been a film that is much better than the Patterson film if in fact Sasquatch is real?
5: That is a very good question, and I don't have an answer for you. I do, however, uh, would like to say that I've seen some very impressive pieces of footage, but none as long nor as close as that in the Patterson-Gimlin film. And unfortunately for us Bigfooters, Roger and Bob set the bar very high very early on.
4: Okay, so is Bigfoot an animal? Is Bigfoot... Uh, A mammal is Bigfoot part human. Like, what do we know? Well, Bigfoots are definitely animals
5: because the other options are plants and protists and things like that. So it's definitely an animal. Mm -hmm. Um, They're definitely mammals. And and by all observations, they are primates as well. In other words, they're hominids. Hominid is the anthropological term for human beings and the great apes, uh, you know, the African apes specifically, chimpanzees and gorillas. Um, How much closer they are to us is a matter of question. Um, I think that they're very likely hominins, as I mentioned earlier, because that's a designation that means they came off the the human family tree Mm -hmm. um, since we split from uh, chimpanzees six or eight million years ago or so. Um, So they're almost for sure hominins and the the term that's now being used for these things and not just Sasquatches the uh, the the ones that are found worldwide like the Yetis or in uh, the Himalayas or the Almas in uh, Eastern Europe or you know all those sort of things are relict hominoids is the term. Um, and that's really catching a lot of, uh, traction nowadays because when the Patterson Gimlin film was obtained back in 1967, there wasn't a place in in the, in the paradigm for anthropologists to put such a thing because there was uh, the predominant, train of thought at the time was what's called the one species hypothesis. And that is a a way of saying, okay, so Homo erectus was on the scene, then Neanderthals moved in, and the, the presence of Neanderthals made Homo erectus go extinct. And then human beings, Homo sapiens, came on the scene, and then the mere presence of Homo sapiens made Neanderthals go extinct. Because the one species hypothesis says that no two animals can occupy the same ecological niche at the same time. And that would go for human beings or human ancestors as well. But now we know, and this is only since the late 1980s, early 1990s, there's been a huge revolution, like a paradigm shift in anthropology that now says that the one species hypothesis is, is nonsense. That's not the case at all. There were, in fact, many kinds of humans, in other words, animals of our genus, Homo, alive on the planet at the same time. We now know that humans actually interbred with both Neanderthals and Homo-Denisovans as well. in fact, as recently as 50 to 75,000 years ago, Homo sapiens were around. Neanderthals were around. Homo denisovans were around. The very last of the Homo erectus were around. Homo floresiensis were around. Um, Homo naledi were around as well. There, so we had at least six or seven species of human-like things, humanoids, humanish hominins, alive on the planet at the same time. So it makes a lot of sense that a thing like a Sasquatch could in fact exist and maybe has persisted until the
4: present day. All right, let's take that one step further. We say that Sasquatch is real, Sasquatch is an animal. How can you've got these morons on these different TV shows trying to kill them with a gun?
5: I do not advocate for that, but I also recognize that that is the only way that scientists are going to come around and accept the reality of the species. And also, you know what TV? I work on TV.
4: Yeah, so do most I. Te-
5: most television shows are nonsense. Yeah. I'm very lucky that we put up a big fight and we had ratings on our hand, uh, on our side. I should say that uh, that we were that we could tell the truth and do what we really do, and we didn't have to mm-hmm. stoop to lying. And I'm not saying I know that th- those other shows do, but I would view everything on television with a very uh, w- with a skeptical eye, shall we say?
4: So here we go, two old TV guys talking talking together, and they're in. In my opinion, there's no such thing as reality TV.
5: (laughs) Well, you know what? I will say that the camera guys and the producers and stuff on our show on Mm -hmm. Finding Bigfoot, um, they have all walked away saying that Finding Bigfoot is by far the most real reality show they have ever worked on. Um, so there's some pride when I when I can say that. Yeah, sure. Here, here's it. We don't have to take a speedboat to get to the final night investigation location. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's television. And I'm OK with that. But when we're out bigfooting, when we're analyzing real Sasquatch evidence, we are not told what to say. We will we will not say what they tell us to even if they did. They tried for a season. It didn't work out very well for them. And the ratings were on our side. We won that battle. So we were uh, given free reign to tell the truth as we see it. We may be wrong, but we will not lie when it comes to Bigfoot.
4: Why isn't the scientific community right behind the investigation of Bigfoot? And why are there not laws passed to protect it as an endangered species?
5: Well... uh I'll take the second question first. Okay. There are a few places in the country where Sasquatches have been protected. Um, like one, the most famous place is Skamania County, Washington. And of course, that law was passed on April Fool's Day, blah, blah, blah. They basically did it to protect people running around in fursuits. But a couple other places, like the township of Whitehall, New York, has taken it a lot more seriously. And it is illegal to try to hunt and kill one of these things in their township. So there are a few places around where these laws are on the books, perhaps lightheartedly, perhaps um, to promote tourism, but no, I don't care why it's there as long as it is there. Um, and as far as why aren't scientists lining up to do this, there are a small number of scientists, uh, like Dr. Jeff Meldrum, yeah. uh, for example, from Idaho State University, the anatomist, or uh, the recently — we just lost one, actually — Dr. John Bindernagle. Um, he, he's now deceased. He died about two months ago. Um, he's a field biologist that took the subject very seriously. Um, uh, I could go down the list. There's quite a few others. Todd Dissatel from New York University is looking into the DNA evidence. He's not sure they're real, but he's keeping an open mind on it. Um, But there are apparently quite a few academics who are very interested in the subject, especially since that paradigm shift I mentioned about the one species hypothesis going away that says, you know what, maybe there is something to this because the evidence is intriguing. Um, They don't want to step out uh, into the public light because of the way the media treats the subject. You All know, right, you light up. Stand you light up at the supermarket, yeah. and you you see the newspaper headlines: sure. you know, "Bigfoot ate my baby," uh, "Sasquatch joins the Taliban," or whatever it is on the you know those sort of um, tabloid papers. Cliff, stand they by. We've to- got
4: to take our break. This is our final break. Exonation. Cliff Barrickman is our guest this hour. www.cliffbarrickman.com. And we'll be back as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and iHeartRadio. Cliff Barrickman is our special guest this hour. Exonation cliffbarrickman dot is his website. Um, this is such an open topic, you know. Uh, do you, uh, what, it, what 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 it, what has happened since the advent of the internet when it comes to Bigfoot?
5: Um, the, I think the most important thing that has happened is that people in various areas of North America who were interested in the subject, whether they had seen a Sasquatch for themselves mm-hmm. or just like myself or just want, like to read about the subject went on, we discovered that we're not alone. Um it's kind of brought people in these fringe subjects uh, together and realized that there's a community of people out there. Um, it's also brought brought a huge number of sighting reports out, um, and if certainly many of them are are lies and hoaxes because yeah. people have a tendency to do that sort of stuff. You know, like to, to lie for attention or mm-hmm. whatever whatever sort of psychological impairment they have. Um, but uh, but it's really more than anything, it's brought the data to light that if you see a Sasquatch and you're afraid to tell your neighbors because you don't want them to think you're nuts or you're drinking or whatever it is, you're not alone. Literally thousands of other people have had a similar experience as yourself.
4: A number of people that we've had uh, on the show over the past 28 years have made a connection between Sasquatch and UFO sightings. What's your take on that?
5: I see no reason whatsoever to think that there's anything paranormal about them at all. Um, certainly I've heard a couple stories that I think are weird, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and, and certain people, a lot of people who seem to be very loud about the, about their ideas think that they're, you know, associated with shape shifting or interdimensional stuff or UFOs and stuff. But really, I don't see the point of trying to explain one unknown thing with another unknown thing. It doesn't really go very far, especially since all my personal observations, um, from hearing them, tracking them, smelling them, talking to people, maybe seeing one one time, uh, all of that points to a perfectly normal biological species. And that's something I can wrap my head around and do something about.
4: I agree with you 100% on that. I, I truly do. How can we best advance Bigfoot research? I
5: think the best way to advance this whole subject is to talk about it in a sober sort of way. Um, you know, don't go out there and and proclaim loudly that they're speaking to you inside your head. You know, if you think that's true, <laughs> keep it to yourself. You know, and it doesn't really do much to further the subject because, as you mentioned earlier, academics don't really want to touch this subject. Yeah. And the louder those people talk, the less those less those same academics want to be associated with it um, because that you know those academics are trying to get grants, for example, you know, trying to convince other people to give them large sums of money to do studies with and to be associated with the Sasquatch thing when there's a cult of people over here claiming that they travel through portals on UFOs and stuff. Well, no one's going to give a scientist any money to help out with that uh, study. Um, So, yeah, just approach the subject like it's a biological creature, because it is, and Study it like it was a bear or a mountain lion or some other unknown species of something that's out there because that's what it is Tell me what are your goals in research? My goals in research uh, basically like I'm not trying to prove they're real I know they're real. I've seen one. I'm confident of it, you know, Um, and I really don't care what other people think that's on my side as well. So my own personal goal with my research is to learn as much as I can and to kind of impart that knowledge to the public. I was a teacher in a former life. Well, I mean, a former life, you know, before I was on television, I was a a teacher, a public school teacher, Mm -hmm. and I still kind of see myself in that same role. I want to educate the public that these things are there, you know, or, you know, if you if you're skeptical about it, then these things are most likely there and they deserve our respect. They deserve our compassion because eventually they're going to need us right now. They seem to be doing okay, but eventually once a dead one is brought in, They're going to need our help to protect their habitat and their ways of life. Um, And I would love to see that march on the White House lawn. You know, all of us weirdos out there wearing our tinfoils hats screaming, save the Sasquatches. That's what I'm doing this for, because I'm trying to raise an army of Sasquatch advocates for that eventuality when they are discovered and they need someone to advocate for their needs.
4: I have a hard time with that because you know there's a lot more serious things in life that need advocacy than a mythological creature or, or a creature that that has you know that is an animal instead of the humans that are facing plights on a daily basis right in the united states canada and other parts of the world so instead, yeah, of, instead of instead of advocating for people why do you think it's more important to advocate for uh, for an animal
5: I think that advocating for them would actually benefit us dramatically. How? Um, I think that it would raise a, our level of compassion for something that is very similar to us. And when I look out there at the political landscape and just mm. humanity in general, what I see lacking more than anything is compassion. And I think that the more you practice compassion, the better you get at it. And perhaps if we can, uh, if, if we can direct a, a level of compassion towards what would be our probably, probably the closest cousin on the planet biologically speaking perhaps we can reflect a little bit of that love backwards upon ourselves and ironically perhaps advocating for sasquatch habitat you know clean water clean land less pollution all that stuff will help us dramatically and ironically it might end up that sasquatches that bigfoot might allow us to leave a smaller footprint on the planet
4: but don't you think it may backfire because people, I don't see how well, I don't well, see that let's, I'm let's, advocating let's for it. But, Let's take a look at it. Let's take a look at it. You're advocating for a Sasquatch. Now, the majority of the people really don't give a damn one way or another about a Sasquatch. It's not a. I thought
5: we were talking about after discovery. No, after it's a done deal, and the people that I'm no, educating no, and developing compassion. No, in no, I was talking.
4: I was talking at this time. I didn't know that you were referring about after discovery. And if you were, uh, my apologies.
5: Yeah, yeah. I'm saying that I'm trying to increase awareness of them now because they are real. And then after discovery, the people who were interested in the subject would then advocate for the protection of their land and their their species, which would reciprocate to a a benefit for ourselves. But once again— Because we, we share the planet.
4: But once again, you say they are real. Yes, they are. Where's your proof?
5: I don't have proof of that. So but, how you know, can you I'm say they I'm not trying to prove it to anybody. I've, I've seen one. I've spoken to thousands of people who say they have. I've tracked them. I'm aware of the evidence. Yeah. I don't need any more convincing uh, at, the, at this point. You, I think you that don't, people need education on you it. You don't.
4: You don't. But people that you're going to, that, that, that watch your TV show and all the other paranormal stuff that's out there, you know, for one thing, once Sasquatch is 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 identified, you guys don't have another show. Bang. So, you know, we're going to hope that Sasquatch isn't found for a while so you guys keep on the air.
5: Oh, that doesn't matter to me so much. Well, wait a second. I really we have disagree. a loftier goal than wait, that. Wait a second.
4: Hold on here. Hold on here. Hold on here. People listening to us around the world, they're listening and they're curious. But. To say that they have a vested interest in Bigfoot or the discovery of Bigfoot is going to make a change in their life come the end of the day, that just doesn't happen.
5: Oh, I don't think it would be a dramatic—in fact, I think if Sasquatches were proven real today, uh, there'd be a big media uproar for a couple months, and Mm -hmm. everything would go back to normal. But I think that uh, over the long run, there would be a subtle benefit to everything if we learned how to be better stewards of the environment and protect the wild lands that we're blessed
4: with. But if if we haven't done that up until this point, why do you think this discovery of Sasquatch would make the difference?
5: Well, you have to look back into the 1990s when they discovered well, they didn't discover anything But they, when they were concerned about the spotted owl species for example in the Pacific Northwest And they realized that spotted owls need old-growth forests to reproduce. They only nest in old-growth forests for example um, And I think that until a thorough ecological study is done on the Sasquatches after discovery, of course um, a lot of the economic activity would grind to a halt unfortunately and and really it, I, I, well, I, I think that advocating for the environment is a good thing for everybody. I should just probably put, leave it at that. Um, and certainly Sasquatches are part of the environment. They're, they're our cousins here on the planet. And by ben, doing something to benefit them would benefit everything because they're part of the ecosystem.
4: Well, so are the whales, so are the polar bears, and the list goes on and on and on. And Absolutely. And with, with global warming going on, you know, you've got two sides of the of the debate as well. You have the side that says that global warming has nothing to do with industry, and then you've got the, the activists who are saying that it's industry that's causing global warming and the greenhouse effect. So no matter what it is, you're always going to have a pro and a con. But right now, my main concern on this planet is the, are the people. The people who are homeless, the people who are hungry, the people who are you know who, who don't have clothes, the people in Syria who are getting you know, doused with chemicals. The pe- people around the world who are hungry, that is where I can see advocacy going. The people who, who have the ability to, to make a positive difference. And I, I don't know, I just find it... I just don't understand why there are organizations or, or, or people who continue to strive for an unknown species like Bigfoot... Instead of helping the existing problems that the world is facing each and every see,
5: day. I, I don't see it as any different as, than somebody who's, say, advocating for the protection of grizzly bear habitat. Um, because t- to me, remember, I've studied these things for a long time. They're uh-huh. just as real. Um, and I'm confident that since they are real they will be proven to those who may not think they are real And that's totally fine to not think that I and mean, why would you of course unless you've studied the evidence, right? Um, so I don't see it as any different than somebody who's who's advocating for grizzly bears And I don't think it's a strong argument to say that one shouldn't advocate for grizzly bears because there's other problems um, but again if you remember back then uh, maybe about five minutes ago or so I mentioned that um I think that by practicing compassion, one gets better at it. All right, Cliff, I hate to
4: do this, but we've just run out of airtime. I want to thank you so much for joining us. And ExoNation, if you'd like to find out more information about Cliff Berrickman, his website is cliffberickman.com. Once again, no proof. At the end of the night, there is no proof that Bigfoot is real. And there is no proof that Roger Patterson, on a deathbed confession, still maintained that that film that he shot with Bob Gimlin was real. And there is no facts, there, are, there is no evidence that when Bob Hieronymus said that he was the man inside the Bigfoot suit, that he wasn't. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away.